When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, happy new year. Welcome to the podcast. I've got a fantastic guest, Pastor Scott LaPierre, and he is the author of Your Finances, Godway, a biblical guide to making the best use of your money. Today's topic is going to be all about marriage, finances. Uh, we're not advocating any religion or anything. We're just, you know, these are concepts and I'm happy to welcome Scott to the show. Welcome, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christopher. Glad to be here with you and your guests. Yeah, and you you are a gifted speaker and you are a pastor. You've been on numerous podcasts. Kind of, I love setting the stage, the groundwork for the awesome discussion that we're going to have. Thank you. So tell us about your experience, how you got started, and we'll get right into it. Okay, sure. So I, I know that uh, interview will be largely secular, not not promoting a religious position or anything, but that's it was my time as a pastor that I began seeing people's struggles with finances and really a pastor as someone who shepherds a, a group or congregation and equips them to handle things well, whether it's marriage, relationships, you know, parenting, children, and finances. And so I never thought I'd read a finance book or preach a lot on marriage, but what happened was I was doing an amount of counseling at my church as a pastor and seeing that more people were struggling with finances than I would have imagined. I'd been a business major. I really, when I was in college, I was a business major and I enjoyed the finance classes, banking classes. And so I had this background and interest in finance and investing that benefited me as a pastor. And so I'd be counseling people and kind of saying a lot of the same things over and over again. So then I just decided, you know, let's just simplify this and I'll preach on finances to kind of give everyone the same same information. And then that was the genesis for my book. I took a lot of those sermons that I labored over and turned them into Your Finances God's Way and and then an accompanying workbook. And so I I feel like people come in and they generally think their financial situation is different or unique, but they don't know that actually it's pretty similar to most other people's, or at least the problems they're experiencing, they think are different, but are pretty similar to most other people's financial problems. And so I, I think I have a whole chapter in the book just on different spending problems or the most common spending problems people experience, which we could talk about today if you'd like. And because I, I saw that, hey, this is common, you know, we're all people, we all have the same struggles. And so this is what would allow allow them to avoid these problems. Yeah. And one thing that, uh, one, you know, we'll start with the, uh, financial struggles and kind of talk about, um, you know, what you're seeing, you know, from your vantage point. 
Okay, great. Yeah, and I guess the other thing, I, did, I don't know if you mentioned it, or, but we have 10 kids on a single income pastor salary. And before this, I was an elementary school teacher. And I, I just mentioned that because it might give me some credibility with listeners, you know, because I think it's, I think people could look at someone that has a lot of money and say, oh, well, that's why you don't struggle. Or, oh, that's why you don't have spending problems, which actually isn't true. I've noticed that people can have a lot of money and struggle financially. And people might not have a lot of money and not struggle financially because it's really not an issue of how much money we have. It's more how we handle or steward the the money we have. You know, there's this the common saying that a fool and his money are soon parted, right? Or even a rich man who's foolish is soon parted from his his money. And so just having, you know, 10 kids so my wife can stay home with those kids and homeschool them, we always been single income and we've been able to pay off a lot of debt and never made lots of money, but tried to apply these principles and so i'm uh -huh. speaking not not just from things i've learned but from experience or things i've applied as well yeah. and so one of the most one of the most common problems i've seen with people i'd say is small purchases that add up most like let's say someone's going to come in for counseling financial counseling with me you can just let me know if i'm talking too much or you want to interrupt but they i'll say hey if you want to come in i'd like you to bring your last three months of financial statements you know your bank accounts let's see where your money's going uh -huh. because people will come in and they'll they'll kind of look at the big numbers and they'll say this and i'll just use some round numbers for this they'll say okay my wife and i make eight thousand dollars per month together we have a mortgage of this amount we have our um, car payments of this amount so we should have three thousand or maybe four thousand dollars left over where is this going right and we're we're making it like month to month well that that typically the struggles people are having are not coming from the mortgage payment and the car payments because people budget for those or plan for those. It's it's always it's all these small purchases that that add up. And so I'll tell people, you know, come in and let's take a look. And so if you have eight thousand per month, we take away the mortgage and the and the car payments, and you should have three thousand left over. You know, where's this going? And it's going to the extra items they're buying at Walmart or the coffee that they're buying on the way to work every day or going out to eat or to the movies frequently. And because it's only like, you know, $10 here, $20 here, $30 here, it's a lot easier for those purchases to add up. It's a lot easier for people to justify, you know, nobody's going to say, well, it's only $20,000, right? People look at purchases of 10, 20, $30,000 very seriously, but it's a lot easier for someone to say it's only $20 or $30 not considering how much that adds up over time. Uh, if I look to the side, it's just because I have some notes here and I was going to read some numbers. AMC Entertainment, it's America's most popular movie theater chain. If you use their prices, the average movie costs $26 per person. Ticket, $11, soda, six bucks, popcorn, nine bucks. You know, it's over $50 for a couple. You add in some kids there and then you're up. I mean, for our family, it'd be three, $400 to go. <laughs> to go to the movies so this isn't this isn't a commentary on this isn't to say people can't go to the movies you know and i'm not saying people can't go out to eat right i'm just saying these things have to be factored in so maybe they put a few hundred bucks maybe less than that if they're trying to get out of debt budget that amount each month that they want to spend on you know entertainment or eating out and then once they hit that budget which I think most people would probably hit that a lot easier or a lot earlier than they think. They'd probably hit it on the fifth or sixth day of the month versus the middle of the month. Then they just don't spend any more money on, on entertainment. Uh, coffee, you know, that's kind of a big one. And so if some people don't know this, but if you spend five bucks on coffee per day, 
you know, five days per week, you work five days per week, pick up a coffee on the way to work and do that a few years, you spend $7,000 on, on just on coffee. You know, that's $7,000 that could have paid off a lot of debt or purchased a car or, uh, you know, then spent any number of ways and people don't know. And then, you know, that's just coffee. So once you add in all the other things, it really, really ends up being a lot of money spent on small purchases. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another problem I've seen with people is entitlement. People feel entitled, like I deserve this, you know, I should have this. And I'm, I'm a fan of people rewarding themselves. So for example, because we have a lot of kids, we try to involve them in many of the things that we do. And so when we've wanted to save up money before, my wife has kind of drawn the thermometer, you know, with a so many every thousand dollars here up at you know it ticks for that and told and drawn that you know colored it in as we raise that money so the kids can see that and get involved and then you can tell your family hey after i after we do this we can take this trip you know or if you talk to your wife or your husband and you say hey after we pay off this credit card or after we pay off this vehicle then we'll reward ourselves so that's a reasonable way to reward ourselves but that's not how i typically see people rewarding themselves i see them rewarding themselves and they're actually more almost punishing themselves by saying you know i deserve this i should have this i had this bad day at work or this person broke up with me or this isn't going well in my life and so i'm going to spend this money to feel better and instead of making their situation better they make their situation worse because now they end up with thousands more dollars in credit card debt or they buy something that you know they don't really don't really need won't really use which which it brings up one of the other other things that I could I could mention, um, and if you can let me know if you wanted to, want to say anything if I'm talking too much, but I most people buy what I consider worthless purchases, <laughs> and and what I mean by worthless purchases I don't mean that the item itself is worthless, I yeah. mean it's worthless to the person that bought it, and so you could buy something that's very useful, nice, valuable. But if you don't use it, you know, if it's that article of clothing that just sits in your closet or it's that tool that just sits in the garage or it's that toy that your kids never play with, then it ends up being useless for you. And I think most of us, if we're honest, we've probably made many what I would consider to be worthless purchases, purchases that we ended up not using. And so it's important to consider what before we buy something, whether it just looks nice in the store or whether it's actually going to end up end up being valuable to us. And I used to, when I was a school teacher, I'd go on field trips with my kids, uh, my students. And that was like the main opportunity to talk to them about finances. So normally, obviously, you're dealing with math, science, reading, English, history. But when you go on a field trip, kids are given usually a bunch of money from their parents to buy lunch or buy souvenirs or something. And I would tell them before we go on the field trip, I'd say, hey, some of you, you're going to throw your money away in the souvenir shop, you know, before we even reach, get to lunch, you're not even going to have any money for lunch. Cause you're already going to have bought all this, all this stuff off. Honestly, it's typically kind of overpriced stuff, you know, bordering on junk being junk. And so when I would take the kids back to the school and drop them off the, they'd get off the school bus, I would walk up and down the school bus to make sure kids didn't forget their backpacks. And I could look at the seats and I could see the stuff that they had bought on the field trips that they were already bored of or so uninterested in that they just left them there in their seats like that. And I would, every year I would tell the students that story. I would say, Hey, some of you are going to go buy stuff in the souvenir shop and you're going to be bored of it within a couple hours or so bored of it. You're just going to leave it on the bus 
and not even care about any longer. So just don't spend your money that way. Don't waste your money that way. And I mention that because I, I think there's a lot of application for adults too. You know, we can buy stuff that we're, let's say, bored of or uninterested in within a, a pretty short period of time. So we want to be wise and consider whether this is a purchase that's going to, um, you know, have value or profit up, benefit us in the future. One of the other, one of the other big problems I saw for, I've seen for people financially is impatience. You know, I have to have it now. So one thing is, you know, I deserve it. We talked about entitlement. One of the other big things I see is I have to have this now, you know, and that's why when I was a business major, I took a marketing class. Although you don't have to be a business major, to take a marketing class to know this, that one of the main approaches marketing takes is the convincing people that they have to buy it now. You know, you don't ever send someone away and say, hey, think about this and then come back and buy it later. You know, you press people. This deal's only going to last for this period of time. You know, if you walk away right now, you're, no, you're never going to find a deal like this again. And so people are being pressed to, to buy something. And I've noticed that impatience is a, is a big problem financially. And so one of the main recommendations that I make to people is, to wait two weeks before making a purchase, you can wait even longer. So figure out kind of a a price a cost in your mind and say, if something is more than this amount of money, we will wait at least two weeks before we buy it. Because most of the regret that people experience from a purchase comes within a couple weeks. And so if you decide you'll wait two weeks or so before making that purchase, you will typically find that you can avoid that regret. I mean, Many people wanted something, said, I'm not going to buy it now. I'm going to wait two weeks. And then within a few days, they're, you know, kind of like, man, I'm super glad that I didn't, I didn't buy that. It would have been a bad purchase. But if you make that commitment to wait those two weeks, then you'll be able to avoid that regret that many people experience. And those two weeks can do something else. I think it's important to, I guess I'd say one of the other spending problems or problems financially for people is a misunderstanding of good deals. What I mean by that is one of the other principles marketers, good marketers or advertisers take is making people feel like they're getting a good deal. So you will rarely find people that believe they were ripped off. Most of the time people leave uh, a purchase believing that they got a good deal. They mm -hmm. didn't, they might not have gotten a good deal. Just the salesman made them feel like they were getting a good deal. That's what good salesmen do. Good salesmen make people feel like they're getting a good purchase. Bad, you know, good salesmen don't make people feel like they're being ripped off. And so <clears throat> when people leave purchases or sales, you know, they walk away feeling like, wow, I got this really good deal. But if you think about it, and I've told my, I've told my kids this, that when you're looking to buy something, don't you think it's odd that you can almost always find a good deal? Why is that? Why is it the moment you're looking for something, you immediately find a good deal? Is it because suddenly you want to buy it and all these good deals spring up? No, it's because that's the way marketing or business works. People are always making it seem like the stuff they're selling is a good deal. So you're always able to find stuff that looks like a good deal. Mm. Now, with, now with that, there are things that are good deals and we do want to look for them. And so it begs the question, well, how do I find out whether I'm getting a good deal not, or not? And that just comes down to research. You've got to do your research. And this kind of connects to my previous point about waiting two weeks, because when you're waiting those two weeks, this allows you to do the research to determine whether you're actually getting, getting a good deal from whatever you're thinking about 
about purchasing. Are you, are you, have you heard of the Stanford marshmallow experiment before? Um, no, I haven't, but, uh, you know, one that you go, but go ahead and elaborate for the audience. Okay. So Stanford conducted this experiment. They called it the Stanford marshmallow experiment where they brought these children into this room and there's this table in the middle of the room. They brought the kids in one at a time and there's a plate on the table with a marshmallow on it. And they told the kids that if you, you can eat the marshmallow right now, but if you wait, I'll come back. And I don't, I don't know if they told them how long they would have to wait. Then I will bring back a second marshmallow and you can have, you can have two marshmallows. You can look this up on YouTube. You can see videos of this. It's, you know, your listeners should do that. It's pretty entertaining. You see these kids like wringing their hands and licking their lips and squeezing the table and, you know, trying to exercise self-control and you're like pulling for them. I mean, you're like, <laughs> looking at these kids, you're like, come on, you know, you can do it. Just, just hold, hold out longer. And, and obviously all the, all the children fell into one or one or two groups. There's the group that waited and then there's the group that ate. And so that was only the beginning of the experiment. What they did was they followed these children over the next, I think it was like 20 years of their lives uh -huh. to see, to see how these kids did in the future. And I'll read the, I'll read this quote here in the follow-up studies, the children who waited to have a second marshmallow experienced better life outcomes measured by SAT scores, educational attainment, body mass index, and other life measures. And so it was their patience or, you know, their self-control, their discipline that allowed them to do well in life, or really it was their impatience and lack of self-control that was, was problematic for them. And so this has a lot of application for finances because if people can be patient, self-controlled, disciplined with their finances, they're generally going. And so the idea of being patient and self-controlled, it applies to, you know, every area of life. That's one of the points with that study that they saw that self-controlled patient people succeeded in pretty much every or perform better in every area of life based on their ability to be patient. So, yeah, really interesting. So I, lo I love this, uh, you know, you gave a really nice uh, synopsis. Uh, one thing that I really have is, um, cause I was just talking to a podcast guest and um you know, I could actually pick your brain for, you know, a couple more hours because you have a lot of wisdom. Um, so one thing I have is is this idea of um, the last podcast guest, she was saying that most people from a scarcity, fear-based, so they tend to hoard things. And I think, um, especially with the media, you know, talking about like consumerism, which you alluded to, you know, everybody's like trying to hoard and, you know, their net worth and, you know, money means different things, you know, status could be a lot of things. So how do you, you know, you mentioned you're to build credibility, you have 10 kids on the pastor's salary. So how do you deal with that um, uncertainty? Because um, I, like here in Houston, we have this um, mega church at, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of him, Joel Osteen. I mean, I'm, yes. You know, I mean, and then I'm not like, a fan. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, he's making like 30 million or whatever, more than more than. So um, how do you reconcile this idea of like um, struggling and just kind of how do you how do you reconcile that? Yeah. So so first, <laughs> let me say I'm not I'm not a fan of Joel Osteen. I feel like he makes he makes me look bad, makes other pastors look bad, makes Christians look bad. That's not how the Lord wants us, wants us living uh, extravagantly like that. And <laughs> off the bat, you know, the hopefully most pastors make. Uh, you know, maybe enough, to, you kind of want to make enough to mm -hmm. survive and hopefully finances aren't a, a stress keeping you up at night, but at yeah. the same time, and you trust the Lord, Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God, these things will be added to you. Mm -hmm. And 
so you kind of get the idea you're supposed to go through life, trust God to provide, but not try to live extravagantly. Um, so with that, regarding hoarding, it's interesting. I actually thought you were going to go a different direction because what I've seen with hoarding is it's problematic. It causes people anxiety and stress. There's clutter, more clutter in your house, you know, with, with uh, nine, you know, 10 kids, there's 12 of us and we yeah. can't, we can't have lots of stuff or else the house is going to be a mess all the time. And so my wife would be that she wouldn't mind me saying this. She'd be the first person to, to tell you that she's not the most organized person. People who are super organized can generally have more stuff, but if you don't organize as well, you can't have as much stuff. And so we've tried to pursue, a, I guess, a simpler life, less stuff. Uh-huh. I've seen many people, their possessions start possessing them. Oh, they kind of, they kind of get owned by the stuff that they own, you yeah. know, and then it's like, we, we bought this, we feel like we have to use it. We bought this boat, we bought these four wheelers. Now we have to go use them. And I'm, I'm not saying don't buy boats or don't buy four wheelers. Yeah. I'm just saying that once you have them, then you feel an obligation to them. And these are just can end up being just one more responsibility in your life. Well, there are certain things you can do. So I don't think we should save up you know, tons of money. I'm kind of a fan of investing and I'm a fan of real estate. And so I think you can be generous as well. I think we have a responsibility to be generous. And even if you're not a Christian and not part of a church, then hopefully you would feel some conviction associated with giving to, to worthy causes. And so I would think that most couples could decide a certain amount that they want to give and a certain amount they want to save. That's one of the benefits of budgeting is you know that there's this much we're going to spend, this much we're going to save, this much we're going to give, and then maybe even this much we're going to use to pay off debt. So there's kind of can be like four categories in your your budget. And then once you pay off debt or pay off all your debt or just some credit cards or whatever, then you can adjust your budget after that. Mm, Yeah. Really fascinating. And uh, like I said, I, I love finances and I love, um you know, stewarding, you know, regardless of religion, you know, get, kind of get back and kind of use it for, you know, whatever purposes. And um, how can people find out more about you and check out your work, check out your book, et cetera? Yeah, great. Thanks for asking, Christopher. So yeah. my <laughs> website, scottlapierre.org, you'll have a link to it in the, in the show notes. That's kind of the hub where people can find my books there, my sermons, you know, speaking engagements, information about me and my family. There's also a contact page on my website if people had any questions or I could, you know, serve them or even pray for them in any way that'd be a blessing. They can reach out to me and there's a free gift. We talked about finances, but I have a, a free marriage book to to give to people that they can they can get when they go to my website. And yeah, I would, I would say, uh, you know, finances are, can be one of the biggest stresses or biggest blessings for us, you know, in this life. And so I like to see people equipped to steward them. Well, I appreciate using that word steward a few times. And so I'm, I'm thankful for what you're doing, Christopher, and your, your desire to help people in this important area. Yeah. And, uh, let's thank Scott for coming on. And really, I love this. I love how you talked about, I have to have it. Um, or I'm entitled to have it and just kind of you know those mindsets. And, um, and like I said, um, you know, like by nature, I'm very frugal as well. I love to stretch out the dollar. Um, all of Scott's resources will be in the links and in show notes. Be sure to check those out as well as his book. And with that, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Christopher. Take care.